All right, Adam, we're recording, and thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, man. So you're from Connecticut? Yeah, that's right. Born and raised in Connecticut. Uh, moved out of here when I joined the Air Force right after 9-11 and bounced around the country doing that for a while. Lived in Florida for a bit, Southern California, Oklahoma, Texas, Seattle. A uh, li- little bit of time back in Connecticut again and then moved out and moved back and now I'm here. <laughs> so you know, for some reason, there's something about this state that it's just keeps I keep coming back here for some reason or another. And then, uh, you know, we were looking to move again this, you know, until this pandemic nonsense came around and kind of fucked up my financial life. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We're still looking at maybe going to like an island in the South Pacific or Croatia or somewhere that isn't here. So, but yep, for now, Connecticut. That's a stark contrast. Yeah. 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 And how'd you, how'd you end up podcasting? Uh, boredom, really? <clears throat> like I, I was doing a, a show with my friend in an actual studio uh, here in Southern Connecticut, and it was like a sports and news, like topical news show. And that was just because it was his thing and it was something fun to do. And then when um, the shutdown came in the restaurant industry, I, I was already kind of like already kind of like not working that much. I'd, I'd sold my restaurant uh, to my business partner and was kind of just bouncing around living off of some Bitcoin for a while. And then the pandemic hit and, you know, around like December, I started to see kind of like the writing on the wall, like what was coming. So interesting. Well, you saw that you saw that two months before it happened or three months before it happened. Yeah, we we started. So I, I was working at a friend's restaurant just to kind of make some spending cash like uh, the holidays 2019. So when I started seeing, you know, the basically Trump had shut down travel and i saw all the woke media kind of coming in on him against that because at that time it i don't think anyone really knew what this was but it seemed like a logical step if you were you know a statist to like you know protect your state from like other states who like you know right have viruses and shit and i started seeing like uh more sanitizer creep into the restaurants like people acting weird not wanting to shake hands doing like fist bumps and elbow bumps and you know, the place I was working, they wanted us to wear gloves all the time. And I was like, you know what? This is not going to end well. Something really bad is coming. So I, I reached out to some friends and was like, um, do you guys know any place that's super well capitalized that has like I, I was like naming off things I need, needed to make like a, an easy to produce food menu, neighborhood place, wealthy community, uh, wealthy, overcapitalized ownership, like maybe a large parking lot for outdoor eating. And I ended up connecting with um, somebody I knew through a friend and ended up taking that job. And uh, that that proved to be incredibly fruitful for me. I probably had the best restaurant year of my entire 16-year career during oh, wow. 2020. And while most of my friends are either broke or, you know, fighting to find a job or their businesses are closing. And I think that's, you know, when you can see patterns and cycles, it's it, it's a lot easier to you know, not be like broken homeless. Yeah. The writing on the wall is there. If you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so you, you basically, that's where you work now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm actually full time. It's, it's the first time I've not been a, an owner or a partner in a restaurant in a very long time. And and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm very lucky because if I had had my restaurant or bar that I sold back in 2018, um, I'd be, I'd be, it'd be a disaster right now. So 
I mean, it's it, it it couldn't have worked out better for me. Let me put it that way. Yeah, it's cool. That's cool. And so you've been you've been like a a wanderer. It sounds like for years before you got into the bar business, you're like traveling. Well, that was mostly the military. I know I know you asked me why I started the podcast. I started the podcast out of boredom during the two months yeah. between you know the, just to talk about shit. But no, the the military was basically the traveling. And then I moved, I was only in it for four years. I actually didn't leave it on good terms. Um, and then dishonorable discharge, it, it wasn't, but it wasn't a good one either. Gotcha. <laughs> it was like right in the middle and enough where I could work at a bank if I wanted to, but you know, I don't know about the, other <laughs> um, no, I moved Not back, I moved back to Connecticut right after the military. And then, um, I, I basically sold like Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door for a couple of weeks. I worked at like a liquor store, uh, sold Volvo's. In, in in Connecticut, Volvos and Mazdas. And then uh, somebody suggested going into the restaurant industry that that would be like a good way to make cash. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking serve people food and clean up their shit, you know? And it's like, all right, whatever. I guess I'll go check it out. And I decided like after two months of working at a Ruby Tuesdays as a waiter that I would just quit that job, make a fake resume and line myself into a management position. So there was a, a steakhouse <laughs> right down the road. And I just... I just totally wiped the military off the transcript and just said that I had been working in restaurants and all of these places that I'd been stationed in. And I handed them the resume. I've basically been in the industry for like six weeks. They hired me as a front of the house manager for like $20 an hour <clears throat> with like a possibility wow. of doing bar shifts. And I just went, I went to the bookstore down the road. I bought a book on how to make drinks. I studied it like shit for like three weeks. And uh, that's it, man. I, I worked, <laughs> managed corporate restaurants for like, the better part of a decade and then started buying my own things and that was it so just basically fake it till you make it i love that dude i love that it's like uh <laughs> i highly recommend the, the, lying yourself into success as long as you're willing to like follow through on it and you don't get caught out as what difference does it really make you know well it's like the risk versus reward is is pretty high to pretty low it's like worst case scenario you don't get the job yeah. Or they find out later when you suck and you're like, well, I guess I can't do this job. And you've also learned something. So, you know, the best case scenario, it's a perfect fit. You make a bunch of money. You start a career. Seriously. I mean, it, like I said, it couldn't have worked out better. And I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be like a career vacuum cleaner salesman either. I don't know if that would, <laughs> that would have worked oh, out for dude. my personality. Right. Yeah. You seem like a people person. Well, you know, people I like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. You just seem like. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't known you that long, but, but posting stuff on social media, like, Hey, who's other, who's other podcasters out there? And all that stuff. You seem like a, a bit of a social butterfly, especially if you enjoy the bar industry. That's not a place for antisocial people. It, it really isn't. Or, or if you're antisocial, you have to be a really good actor, right? You have to, yeah, you there's have to a be lot able of those actually. <laughs> I, I think most people probably do like, but I, I've always looked at it as, you know, it's my own personal free social experiment. You know, I, I have a captive bar audience you know, for the past 10 years, everywhere I've been. And I'm basically in control of my own destiny back there because it's they're my restaurants. So like, I don't want to say how can I fuck with people for my own amusement, but kind of right. I mean, you kind of have an audience there. And if you all play off of each other, you can learn a lot about people, you know, and it, it's, yeah. it, it's been very helpful for me as like this kind of weird little social experiment. I think there's there's uh, something invaluable about being around people regularly in a place where you you don't have to feel worried about making a fool of yourself. Like that social experiment thing is like every, if you have enough social interactions, 
you can say something goofy that's totally unacceptable or whatever, and like just it'll you just get away with it because whatever. You, yeah, you hold yourself back if you don't have enough interactions. You're like, I don't want to squander this one. Like, I don't want to squander this social interaction or this this in- engagement with the person that I don't know. Like, yeah, it, it certainly took um, it certainly took some time to kind of figure out my angle. Wor- you know, working in the in the front of the house, working in the in the bar part of the restaurant. Um, I, I definitely learned from a few people that I worked with who are much older than and wiser than me. And I've definitely stolen some of their bits for sure. And, you know, in over time, you kind of create this persona back there that at first seems kind of fake and artificial. And then you kind of you grow into it in a way where you become yourself and it becomes true. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, kind of. You know, when I was younger, I was super socially awkward. I, I you know, came out of high school with basically no friends. And I had to, I had to actively learn how to be social. Mm. So I did like, I studied like a lot of like self-help and personal development and like body language stuff. I got like way too technical with it, almost like so wrapped up in your head that, or in my head that I, I, I was too engaged with the little details and not engaged enough with the person in front of me. But then like you pull back from that and you can learn how to, how to read people better. So I did a lot of that, I guess, like social experimenting myself just, mm. just through sheer necessity yeah, I think I got I got really lucky. I was thinking about this when I was kind of playing in my head at what we were going to talk about. And I, I realized that I got really lucky to have a mix of like academic learning and real life learning, you know, throughout the whole time I've been alive. Like when, when I was a kid, like a young kid, you know, we, we played sports and rode bikes around the neighborhood and got dirty and like dug for snakes. But like I also read a lot and wanted to be a screenwriter and a film director, very imaginative. And, and like, even when I got into high school and I was reading about like the occult and mysticism and Aleister Crowley and HL McGregor Mathers and the golden dawn and shit like that, I was still on the baseball team. I was still smoking weed and skipping school with my friends. So like it, it's, I think one of the things that I've noticed in the libertarian anarchist community over the last, what have I been on Facebook? Maybe like 13 years, 12 years is that seems that what I just described about myself seems to be a rarity, right? And like an almost inability to connect to reality. Like, I don't know, man, like most times I'd rather, I feel like talk to status and go to a Yankee game and eat a hot dog than like talk to another anarchist because it's so like not interesting, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's like a, there's a balance between like the whole esoteric philosophical world and like hanging out and and like fixing your car or something. Yeah, like we don't have to talk about any of that shit. Yeah, it's exactly, man. It's like, you know, having a talk with like a, a, a Facebook anarchist is you you might as well be talking to somebody who's like masked up and locked themselves in their house for the last year. Like neither one of those two people are really really living a life. You know, like there's a beautiful day outside, go for a walk, play with your dog, like get out of your own head. Not you, you know, right. but like the general you. Just get off the fucking internet, man, and go do some shit. And then, like, right. I'll be sitting out, you know, smoking a cigarette, watching my dogs play, and I'll just tweet something or put something on Facebook, and then I won't look at it for, like, 12 hours, and I'll go back, and I'm like, holy crap, like, fuck. <laughs> they want to have, like, a conversation about this. Like, I don't really want to do that. It's nice out, <laughs> you know? So it, it's yeah. been an interesting balance over the years. And you've been doing your you've been doing your podcast for, what, like, uh, a full year now? Yeah, man. I think uh, April 4th, I put out the first episode, which I recorded on my phone in my living room with my friend in from Seattle. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm cringe to go back and listen to it. I haven't listened to it because I, I know the audio quality was even bad, like for the time. 
So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I, it, you know, it, it's you're you're essentially recording your life as it goes, and you know, I didn't know what I was doing when I started doing this, and then like I thought buying a, a Blue Yeti USB mic was going to be the way to go, and then now I'm sitting here with like a you know fifteen hundred dollar setup. It's like when I go back and listen to even just six months ago the quality of that makes me cringe. And then I'm thinking like, I'm not even wording that very well. The thing that I said right there, shit, do I really want people to hear that? Is that really what I want to say? And so you, you're like locked in this record of your growth over time. And I think the only way you can look at that and not lose your mind is to just accept it. Like it is what it is. And people can go back and they can be like, you know, in April last year, you said this thing. And in April this year, you said this completely contradictory thing. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? You fucking start a podcast, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not trying to be consistent. I'm just fucking shooting from the hip over here. You know, I mean, go fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to it's you get the right mentality about that one for sure, because I feel like and this is something that um, the woke mob does not seem to understand podcasts, tweets, mm. all that stuff. It's more it's more capturing your thoughts in the moment than it is like issuing a press release mm -hmm. you know like if i have a, a silly tweet um i'm not looking to make this like my official statement on an issue do you know what i'm saying and then people will take it like it's that uh or even even like a facebook post or a podcast when you're having a conversation with somebody working it out i think the, the appeal of podcasts it feels like a personal conversation where you don't have to be checking yourself all the time and then you can publish it if it's a good, thoughtful one. People can can get some value from that. But then you lose that if you have to constantly be self-censoring and worrying about it. Yeah, you know, it's one of the reasons I don't – well, there's many reasons why I don't do video on this. I mean, I could, I suppose, do video. But, I, you know, I, I don't monetize on YouTube. You know, I, I there's certain avenues I just won't take because I don't want to worry about having to bleep out things like hydroxychloroquine. Like if, if, if I said that and it's on YouTube and it's monetized, like that's it. It comes down, you know, and I, I don't want to fucking deal with that shit. And like with, you know, I, I can edit audio easily. It's hard to edit video, you know, if like, I don't know. I, and I, when I watch, cause everybody's doing zoom calls and Google meetups and shit like this on their shows, like mm -hmm. even the really good shows, like don't sound or look polished. And it's like, I'd rather put out something that's just audio and polished than put out something with like, I don't know, just cars in the background or my dogs barking it's just it's weird and it's it's almost become accepted now because of the pandemic to put out like terrible video i think the only person really doing a good job with it is jason stapleton but he, he also dumps like 20 grand into every venture so i don't really have that uh have that drive to spend that much money on it maybe we should talk about um the different social media platforms and how people approach them because that when, when you were talking about twitter and facebook it made me realize how different they are you're, you're on both right yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Don't really use it. And what else am I on? Um, I guess that's about it, really. I'm not like a big social media guy, mm. but I I realized recently that they almost have different purposes. Mm -hmm. It's like Twitter. You can be a random person on the edge of the pond and throw a big rock in and make a splash. Yeah, and get somebody's attention who you'd never talk to on Facebook or whatever. And then Facebook, you can build like a following out of your friends and your local communities and you can, it's kind of like a, a way to involve yourself more with the people that are on the periphery of your in-person communications. Whereas Twitter is like for the people you don't know almost. Mm. Well, that's right. how I feel about it. Because on Twitter, like you're, you're literally in the space with the president of the United States. Whereas like 
you know, Joe Biden and I are not friends on Facebook. So it's, you know, or like uh, the blue check mark from the New York fucking Times or whatever. Like, that's not something I'm going to see on Facebook. I'm going to see on Facebook people I probably know pretty well. And on Twitter, right. Twitter, I feel like, first of all, Twitter is a fucking cesspool. It's horrible, right? It's there's there's nothing redeeming about going on there. You have to be a martyr if you're going to really take Twitter seriously. You have to go on there and disrupt the fucking system. And that requires like, almost being a monster yourself and i just don't have it in me to do that like i don't and there's people that do it well like pete quinones the timeline earth guys those guys do it well and i don't have the time or the energy or the interest in keeping up with it to do that so i'm generally pretty nice or i'll if i'm a dick on twitter it'll be like to defend somebody i'm friends with an account that's mm. getting like hated on by i don't know like nick sarwark or archie flower or like one of these fucking losers and they're hating on a friend of mine. So I'll go in there and just stick up for my friend or something. But even then I, I think about it later and I'm like, did I really need to do that? Was that, <laughs> was that really a good use of my, should I delete it? Like, I still think about that. Whereas I feel like at Facebook, I get a really good engagements with people. And, um, so I, I just tend to be on there more. And Instagram is just memes, just memes. That's it. Funny memes, throw them up, see, see what happens. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the Facebook engagements. And I used to actually get more, but some of the people that, that I get engagements from people that disagree with me that some of them are good and them are bad, but they kind of all unfollowed me now. Because yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty relentless. Uh, I, but, I mean, I think people use I've said this, uh, that I've said this on the show before. I think people are using specifically Facebook wrong, right? It's like, it, it's a it's a marketing tool for me. You know, you, you, I go on, I say something specific. I know where, where I kind of want to see where it goes, but I'm not like genuinely concerned about the statement, if that makes sense. Like it's very purposeful what I'm doing on there to try to drive dialogue and conversation. So I could see how somebody coming on the page or seeing a post of mine, if, if they're interpreting it as like he's just ranting about this thing that's bothering him today, I could see how they would respond the way they respond. Whereas I'm just throwing it out there to see what fucking happens, right? Like, what is this going to stir up today that's going to either, you know, change my mind or make me think or make me want to say something different on the show? It's very purposeful. And I think if you're not, if you're using social media in a way that isn't personal therapy session or some shit, you're going to fucking drive yourself crazy. Like, there, you might as well just turn it off and never go on it again. You're going to fucking kill yourself on it. You have to go on there and be like removed from the meaning of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it. You don't just drive yourself crazy either. You drive everybody crazy. Like people who are using it as like an emotional yes. journal. Like yes. please don't. Yes, please don't. Like, and I I feel bad too because I I also think when I see that I'm like, man, you need somebody you can talk to about this in real life. Like if you're posting your relationship struggles or whatever. Like I I do I I agree with you. It's like a marketing thing. I use it to promote my ideas more than anything else now. And, it, and not, it, even if it's like an idea, I'm just chewing on. It's mm -hmm. not like settled yet. And, and I, you know, I've fallen into that trap too. So it's, it's, you know, I've made the mistake of like getting too drunk and like bitching about an ex-girlfriend or something on Facebook. I've definitely done that, but it was a, it, it's an anomaly and it was a drunken mistake. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like the next morning I deleted it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was looking right. for it to be something. Yeah. I think, I think you're hundred percent right. It, 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 you can't get emotionally invested in these things because they're not, they're not fucking normal. Right. There's nothing normal about what we're doing right now. There's nothing normal about Facebook. There's nothing normal about like talking to you on a, on a, on a cell phone over a computer. It, it, it's not normal. 
right? It's like the overhand pitch in baseball as opposed to the underhand in softball. Like one of those fucking actions is like humans were meant to do that. And the other action, we were not meant to do that. So there's only so much you can put into, into stuff like social media and, and, or, or it's, it's, you're going to unnaturalize yourself to death. If that makes sense. I think the secret is just like, don't make your social media about you, you know, don't make it about your life, like make it about ideas and like maybe a cool event Mm -hmm. or like promoting something. But yeah, don't make it about your life because like, I, I don't even, I, I used to put a bunch of photos up on Facebook because I like taking photos and I like to travel. Um, but I don't even put, I rarely put that stuff anymore because I just don't care to share. I also made my stuff public. Mm. So I was like, I want to share my, if I'm putting stuff, I'll write essays and put them on Facebook, you know, like Mm -hmm. long essays and responses stuff. Now I have to take them and copy them out of Facebook because <laughs> Facebook is censoring our memories. Yeah. You know about this? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't even go back and see what you wrote. Like I have I have memories that I can go back. I have to look them up, right? To see them. Like just corona memories. I look them up, see them. It'll be about the Department of Justice wanting like uh, you know, extended emergency powers during the pandemic to r- remove people's rights, you know, uh no trial, just indefinite just indefinite uh, confinement, which they already are doing, but still just like, oh, well, if we, there's a virus, now we need that privilege for this too. So I go back, I can't even read the essays I wrote above the post. I have to search to find the post and my memories won't show up in the auto memories. And then when I click on it in my search on my profile, I can't read what I wrote on top of it. I'm like, I got to go get mm. all of this. Let's pull all of it out. That's interesting you said that, you know, because I, I, I was I was anticipating uh, March 16th, of this year because it would be one full year since the restaurants were, were closed originally by the, by the state. And I was like, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing all of the posts that I put up last year on the, you know, yep. the, on the memories thing. And me too, I'd been scrolling through it and I was like, man, I, I really thought I said a lot more last year. Like it seems like I was a lot quieter than I remember. So I, I wonder if that has something to do with it. I hadn't thought of that. Dude, I, and I've been blasting it out on Facebook and it's get, it gets silenced immediately. <laughs> wow. Huh. It's crazy. I don't know if they have a person who watches my post. I mean, it's it's that creepy where I, it sounds crazy to say that, but I'm almost like, I don't know, they put you on a flag list. Oh, this guy's posting stuff that doesn't go with the mainstream flow of information. We're just going to have a quick approve before it gets in front of his 900. I don't even have that many friends, like 900 <laughs> people on Facebook. You know, it's like, but if, I don't know, man, it's very creepy. Go, go look, because I've made a couple of videos on this. Go look on your memories, search like COVID or Corona. Mm or lockdowns, whatever, look them up on your profile. It's worth it. There's a whole bunch of them that you haven't seen. They're like, they're not going to show up in your thing. So we're two weeks into it now, two weeks since lockdowns. And, um, that's I'm very interesting. Wow. Disappointed. Yeah. I'm very disappointed. And no podcast have I heard this on, you'd think like Tim pool would cover this or somewhere would be in the news, but if they've suppressed it well enough, which I believe they have the ability to do, it makes sense that it wouldn't be like how many people even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably at that level, those people aren't really um, Facebook memory folks anyway. And like they're when it comes to Twitter, which is something like Tim Pool would use. I mean, I don't even know if he's actually doing the tweeting, but if he is, it's probably so like quick that he doesn't care like what he said before. You know what I mean? So it's probably just folks like us who would notice something. I, I just yeah, like like I was telling Taya the other night, I'm like, I, I think man, I really thought I was way more vocal about this shit last year, but apparently I didn't say anything. So and that, that makes sense what you're saying. No, you, you probably said a lot. Hmm. If I had to guess you probably like, cause I know it took me about three days and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. This is not, you know, the, at first I was like, Hmm, interesting. I didn't think this would come here. And then I was like, yeah, no, 
not uh no way uh, <laughs> i mean maybe everyone just takes it as a given now that they're going to be censored or or whatever i mean it, it it's not like i'm i'm not it, it would have to be algorithm uh algorithmic right because it's not like i'm yes. i don't think i'm saying anything that's in any way like incendiary on facebook i, I mean if if anything it's probably boring to most pe- most people who aren't it's, libertarian so i think it's keywords it's going to be mm. coronavirus and covid19 if i had to guess those are the two that i looked up where i was missing posts there's probably more you know like maybe pandemic or virus or something but but those are the two big ones i looked them up i'm not getting posts that include those words so maybe the the what we the advice we should give people go back and change every every one of your posts that says covid19 just change it to covid29 and then when the next one comes around in the decade from now, you'll be ahead of the curve and you'll have it you'll have it last for like eight years until they censor you the next time. That's a good idea. Or change it to Kobe, Kobe 99. Kobe. <laughs> Kobe 99. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. And what's crazy, too, is that even even in libertarian circles, I'm in, there's just like this big collective. Meh. Like, I don't really care. Like, yeah, to be expected. And like, I get it. But also, I think we should make a stink about it. You know, like I really do think we should make us think about it, even if there's nothing we can do about it. And if you were expecting this to happen, like still, I, I'm going to make us think about it. I'm not a guy to shut my mouth. OK. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I try to draw the line between like like I'm, I'm personally pretty clear pilled, but that doesn't make for a very interesting social media presence or podcast. So <laughs> it's uh, I try to like kind of break myself out of the clear pilled thinking so I can have discussions with other people. So I, I, I can kind of get the meh to it because that's how I feel about most things. It's just meh, whatever. But Well, the clear pill is what none of this really has any effect on us. We just have to live our lives. It's like the agorist pill. Yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, pretty much. I, I would say it's like you're, you're, you understand the reality that you're in and you're just okay with it. It's like a submission to it. Like it doesn't mean you have to not actively work toward maybe changing something if you want to, but like you're emotionally mm. just okay with it. And I, I, ca- I kind of look at it like, you know, what does anarchism accomplish? What does libertarianism accomplish really? Like other than driving you crazy, right? <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, if you're going to let it drive you nuts to the point where you can't enjoy life, then like I said, you're no different than the person with the triple masked up who won't leave their house because of COVID. You know, so there there is something right. to the it, at least go white pilled on it. But if you can get yourself to the point of like, you know, we're not going to see Ann Capistan in our lifetime and I'm fucking OK with that. You can go out and you can live a really productive and healthy life in some agoristic sense or anarchistic sense, however you want to do it. You know, it's just you don't need to like focus on it all the time everywhere because you're you're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see statism everywhere all the time. So why let it why let it drive you nuts? Yeah, that's interesting. It, that's that's something that I feel like is easy to get sucked into, but it's also like hard to hard to give up. Mm. Um, it's not as hard to give up though as hating the woke stuff. <laughs> I get so triggered. I'm sorry. I mean activated. <laughs> activated. Not supposed to say. Not supposed to say triggered. It uh, activates people. Huh. Uh, <laughs> like my degree antiperspirant, right? It's a uh, moisture activated. Yeah, yeah, it activates me. It stresses me out. It makes me sweat. Uh, I get so triggered by the woke shit. I'm like, these, this is the stupidest. Like, okay, so for example, in New Hampshire, the the Mises caucus kind of just like swept mm-hmm. some elections. You probably heard a little bit about that. Yeah, our poor little Nikki boy. 
Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Nikki. Yeah, it's all right. He'll live. Uh, well. Um, so there's a there's a group within the New Hampshire Mises or not the Mises Caucus, the Libertarian Party, who's like these the Mises Caucus is a bunch of racists, and then they won't like name anybody, and they just call us woke or not woke. They call us bigots and uh, uh, misogynists and racists. And I'm like, this is just a bunch of woke virtue signaling. And I don't. First off, you guys are digging your hole deeper. There, there. This is the reason that all those people showed up. Like you doing this is the reason that we doubled the size of the party and, and everybody showed up. So you doing more of it is going to get more people to show up next year if you stick around. Like it's going to backfire. But also, like I can't stand it. I want to just call these people stupid and be rude to them. You know, I think the only the only solution to this is to ridicule it. The the wokeness it just needs to be ridiculed. I don't know. That's my solution. And now you you have this other thing you've talked about, like the whole other side of this. But we need to like figure out how to con- converse with them. But I don't know. I'm fed up with it. Mm, yeah, I don't. So I guess we'll ask the question, why? Why is there this like woke libertarian left movement thing? Like wh- what do they exist to do? And what I've come up with is they're trying to preserve status, right? They what If they if people like Sarwark and Flower and all these losers, if they were to actually go be like activists, they, they'd be shut down by the mainstream in a, in a heartbeat. So this is their way of protecting their little, their little thing. I don't know, their little nerdy little community that they have because they don't want the Libertarian Party to actually achieve anything. They just want it to be like their little circle jerk fest of this tiny amount of power that they have. Like the same reason somebody would join like a book club in junior high school or something. And so I think they just see if they can, if they can latch onto the mainstream idea of wokeness, they won't be canceled when the real hammer comes down on people like the Mises caucus. I think they can see that they can see that the Mises caucus will be up against a Goliath of the state. At some point it's going to happen. And these people want to be insulated from that. And this is their this this is their way to do that. So this this brings me to something that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. This whole the whole woke virtue signaling. What you you have often spoken and you know, followers of my podcast won't know this about you, but you are of the opinion, as am I, that the wokeness is like a religion. It's mm. like culty and weird and religious. The and church of woke. Yes. The church of woke, absolutely. Look that hashtag out, folks. Um, I think that this virtue signaling thing is – you're familiar with uh, Passover in the Old Testament? hmm When the plagues were coming in Egypt, uh, the Jews were supposed to mark their doors with the lamb's blood. And when the angel of death came through, it would pass over the homes that had been marked with the appropriate, appropriate sign in lamb's blood. Right. So this is judgment coming for the people who haven't said they're on the right side. Do you think that virtue signaling, putting these posts out, well, those guys are terrible people, putting it out is like voting for the angel of death early and often. You know, it's like putting your sign up. So like, hey, hey, when you do come through, don't get me. I'm mm-hmm. safe over here. I'm good over here. Is that what that is? Because it seems like the same religious thing. It's like, well, if we just mark our doors in virtue, like I'm a good person over here. Don't cancel me or don't mm-hmm. don't stomp on me. It seems to me the exact same thing. Yeah, I think that's probably a good analogy. 
Uh, I hadn't thought of it that. I mean, I, I thought of that idea before. I hadn't thought of that exact analogy. Yeah, you, you certainly are like, well, it, it's the in crowd thing, right? Like everybody wants to be popular. Uh, everybody wants, well, first of all, humans need meaning and purpose. There, there's something in us biologically. For whatever reason, we just, we are tuned to try to find meaning and purpose. And if That's you, why we it, all ask that question. I mean, right. You can't, if you can't find it in God or spirituality, you're going to find it in fucking something else. That's something that's probably destructive to civilization and society and culture. And, and you're going to signal to your in-group to let them know that you're, you're part of the club. And when you, when you kind of look at the, the church of woke is probably not the best title for this, but that's just the one that caught on. Like Vin Armani started that. That's how it kind of caught on. Um, because I think it, it's a little bit narrowly focused in the term, but it's a religion. Yes, it's a, it's absolutely, a, it's a, it's an atheistic religion. It's people who can't find like larger meaning and purpose, figuring out their own personal March on Selma or their own little storming the beach at Normandy. And they generally tend to be very powerless, weak people who have really bad, like social issues or they've never really achieved very much, or they might be like the, you know, the, the, the stay-at-home housewife of the financial guy who works in New York City, and they don't really have anything to do with their free time, so they're going to start ingesting the Trump crack and s- smoking that as much as they can, and all of a sudden they can't get any more crack, so they got to go down to their crack dealer and get a little bit more Trump crack and get on Facebook and tell people how shitty Orange Man is, and it gives them this, like, purpose, this this entire reason for existing that you could just get by just submitting yourself to nature too. When I look at cycles and patterns, you can see societies in history fluctuating depending on which one of these two avenues they decide to go down. And it seems to me when you start seeing things like wokey shit happening in society, uh, that's pretty much a signal it's over. And when you see people embracing like a true form of spirituality or some sort of like definitive culture, where it's based around family and community and sharing and a, a belief in something bigger than themselves that those civilizations tend to flourish. So that's when, when I say like it's all over, you might as well just accept this is the end of society. Like that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think this society like fucking needs to go through some kind of transformation. And that's what we're going to see as we're moving into the dim age is it's going to be a battle really between folks like you and I and the fucking church awoke and they're, they're going to start coming at you like hard. They, I mean, they already did this past year using the state in any way they can to pull people away from their families and lock them in their homes and keep them watching porn on their computers and ordering shit on Amazon. Like what's the easiest way to control a population, right? Separate them. We see this in prisons. You can see this in like, you know, um, very tyrannical states, North Korea, something like that. Like just separate people and you can control them. And then you have folks separate and stimulate. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like so somebody said on a po- was Pete's podcast or somebody a guest was on and they said, if you give them the Huxley, they'll accept the Orwell. And I thought that was a really great way of putting it. Like if you can drug them up and keep them happy, then they'll accept all the totalitarian 1984 shit. They probably won't even see it. Right. Sorry, that was a long yeah. way to get there, but <laughs> no, no, it's okay. No, it's it, isn't it creepy how how conveniently the woke stuff leads right into statism? You mm. know, isn't it because there's people who I know who are not like they 
are inherently distrustful of the government. Um, they're inherently like not they you know, look all themselves socialists or communists or whatever. And, and they don't believe that the government is out to help them. However, when it comes to the woke stuff, they're like, well, absolutely. The government should enforce this. I'm like, well, do you realize what you're doing here? You're turning your enemy into your enforcer, into your thug. Like, it just seems like a, a dangerous thing, but they don't, it's like, they don't care. They're like, well, we need government to do this. And you and I, obviously, I mean, I'm an anarchist. I won't, I, I came to terms with that like a year and a half ago, I guess. Hmm. Uh, I don't know about yourself, but I'm just like, well, I just don't trust that lever to be the lever to pull to solve a problem. It seems to me when they sit, you know, they'll sell you healthcare and they'll buy bombs with it. Like they're selling you the idea of healthcare to take more money from you so they can kill more people. So mm. I don't trust them no matter what the good intention is that they pitch you on. I just don't trust them. And you can pitch that to somebody who considers themselves like a, like a socialist or, or even like a, you know, a progressive communist or something. Who's a, like, I have friends who consider themselves who I think they're good people, but they'll buy right into the woke shit. They're like, well, no, obviously hate speech is bad. I'm like, do you realize where you're going with this? Like you want the government to tell you what you can and can't say. Yeah. Well, the, I think the issue with with most people, whether they're left or right or socialist or libertarian or, or whatever somebody identifies with, they're, they're constantly looking at this particular style of government as the thing they're supposed to embrace for their own reasons. And I feel mm. like a, a better way to look at it is to say, well, what type of government if there's let's just assume there's always going to be hierarchies and power structures. What type of government would you like to have for you and what you believe in? And stop trying to make this one that and realize it isn't ever going to be your government. It's not going to be your utopian vision of hierarchy and power structure. It's going to be That's this That's a one. really good point. So rather than trying to use this one, develop for yourself the one you want to see and then go create it somewhere. Like go make Ancapistan. Like there are what, like 15 or 20 private cities like all over the globe. Plus you have like Hong Kong and Singapore, which are not really, but they're like they're for now, you know, for, for now, but like you can look at Singapore and you can look at it as an anarchist and you can be like, man, there's a lot of fucking rules in Singapore. Like, I don't want to follow all these rules, but like, what does Singapore not have? Like crime, murder, drug, like, you know what I mean? It's like a perfect city if you follow the fucking rules. So, you know what? I think we were talking off air, maybe texting or something about Ancapistan. And I was saying that, you know, the people who understand Ancapistan the least are Ancaps. It's because what you're going to get is you're going to get power and you're going to do something with power. And then you decide that like, you can't just have people running around doing whatever they want. Like nobody wants that. I don't think. So what would your Ancapistan look like? What would your, what would your perfect city look like? What would your socialist utopia look like? And right. it, it's very right. lazy to just not explore that idea, right? To just be like, well, this is the government we have. We should either reform it or we should burn it down. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do then? <laughs> like, if you want to reform it, okay, we can do like the Mises Caucus is basically like the avenue right now for that. Okay, that's one thing. You, if you don't like it, what are you doing about it, really? Because if you're just saying, not you, but like if people are just saying, like, I'm an anarchist, I hate the state. Like, well, what are you, what are you doing about that? What, what, what does that accomplish? What have you come up with? That, you know, other than reading Rothbard, what have you come up with that fixes the problem? And when you push them on this, they don't have an answer because it's just easier to be lazy and complain about it. 
Well, I mean, listen, I'll tell you, I have ranted in a lot of people's living rooms, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm making, I'm making a dent here. <laughs> I, you know, it's uh, like libertarian and anarchist philosophy is to me like no different than Jesus Christ and the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd want them. Don't, don't hurt people and take their stuff. Like if you follow the life of Christ, I'm not even saying I do. I'm just saying if you do that, you're essentially being like you're living libertarian principles, and you can be philosophically anarchist, right? And like you can do a lot of like you can engage in a lot of anarchistic transactions on a daily basis. And probably most of them are, but you can't really like be an anarchist, you know, like you, how, how does that even work? Like you can say it, right. you can make the claim, but right. you're, you're still going, you're still, when you, when you put gas in your car, you're paying gas tax, right? When you, when you uh, get, get a Snickers, you're paying, say like, what, what does well, that mean when somebody says what they really, I think they mean is I'm philosophically anarchist yet. I live in the real world and have a hard time figuring out which one of those two things makes sense in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can, I think there's things people can do to actively mitigate how much they, they mm-hmm. chip into mm-hmm. the state, which is, it's actually surprisingly easy. You know, the, this is something I explain to people a lot when I tell them I'm an anarchist. I'm like, listen, the reason that you've never killed somebody in your life is not because it's illegal. Right. Right. You know, and the reason that people have killed people in their lives is mostly not because it's legal. <laughs> you know, like if, if we're going to do this math here, the law is no substitute for morality. And if we're going to, you know, you can extrapolate from here to banning all sorts of things. Like if we're going to ban guns, why don't we just ban murder? It seems like it would be more effective, right? Right. Yeah. Um, if, if you were so, if you were intent on uh, committing a mass shooting, well, I mean, what place would be better to accomplish that than a gun free zone? I mean, they're just they're just putting like big headlights on and being like, hey, over here, like over here, just come shoot us. Hello. And right. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think we like you said, it's not like somebody had to tell you and I when we woke up this morning, like they whispered in our ear to remind us not to like rape and murder today. Right. It's pretty obvious that we're not going to do that. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. So, well, so the pitch comes down to like, listen, you know, it's like you said, what we have now is never going to be whether you're an anarchist or a communist or a socialist or even even if you just want like a democratic republic or like a constitutional republic. What we have now is not going to come. That it's not that's not happening Mm -hmm. tomorrow or next week. And I think to your point, building a community of people with the same values of you as you is irreplaceable. I just recently like found out about the free state project. I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know anything about it really. The free state project in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. That thing is awesome. That's a great project. That's a great goal, you know, because really if you're going to be an anarchist, it's like you said, being an anarchist uh, and living in the world, it's like if you're one anarchist out of a hundred people or 10,000 people in your town. Okay. So are you, you have to follow all the, you stop the stoplights you know, like you, you pay your taxes, you do whatever. You just believe that we shouldn't have to. You believe that we should live without rulers. It's like not a thing that you can just do unless everybody else is on board around you. Well, you know, that's that's interesting that you you mentioned the stoplights. And like that's that kind of makes me think of a bunch of stuff. Um, so like who's to say in Ancapistan that you wouldn't have stoplights? I'm not saying I'm not saying you're I'm not saying you're saying that I'm just like it seems like everything like I'm I'm making a brash generalization about Internet anarchists here. So nobody lose their minds and come fuck with me on Facebook. But three listeners. (laughs) Well, should I at least four, man? Come on. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you you signing up? (laughs) Yeah, of course. Shit, man. I got I got to I got to support me at least. And you and, you know, (laughs) Uh, 
but yeah, it's like, you know, I feel like they, they, everything is statist, right? Let, 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 me, let me make that as the statement. Everything is statist. Stop signs are statist. Roads are statist. Like, every, the stores are statist. You know, it's like maybe most of these things are things you would keep if you were developing in Kapistan. You probably would want like some kind of traffic order, right? Even if it's emergent, it would still be a thing. You'd probably want some sort of structure to society and some rules in place to like, you know, help people facilitate transactions. So of course, I think that's I'd like to see that conversation more rather than just be like, we have to end the state. <laughs> it's like, well, the, the state, give it time because the state will end itself for you. <laughs> give it enough time. It's, it's really doing a good job, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I am. I am not being hyperbolic when I tell you I am 100% convinced that this society is already over, that the American experiment has ended in a failure, and we are currently living through the remnants of it until something else springs up. Interesting. So we're, we're living in a ruined house, pretending mm-hmm. there's a roof over our head. Yep. yep. Okay. Because, not, cool because none of this makes any sense, right? Like, it, the, if you look it at... It just hasn't started raining yet. Oh, yeah, man. And when it rains, like people go back and read Noah, dude, because Genesis tells you exactly what to do when it starts raining like that. So what were you going to say, though? Because I just cut you off. You know, you can see it in how easy it is for people to latch on to this idea out of fear, right? That like always happens. You know, if Pearl Harbor's bombed, people are fearful of the Japanese and it leads the government to be able to do a bunch of shit it already wanted to do. And you can see that with the masks and COVID. Like it was just the perfect storm of putting government in a position where it could do what it already wanted to do. But right. I I think <clears throat> these like mass hysterias that have happened throughout history, society's always kind of come back from them, rebounded pretty strongly. It's the technology component that's been introduced in the last five years or so, five to ten years, that I think puts puts this particular mania on the path that it's on, right? Because you couldn't have done this 15 years ago. You couldn't have locked people in their homes. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have allowed it. And now they'll basically do anything to get the Huxley, right? To get that fix. And I, I don't see the, I don't see them breaking out of that, right? Like, I, I guess everybody in their way probably doesn't want to work. Would be my guess. I, mean, I assume like if you're given a choice between having everything you want on the planet and not working or not having anything at all and having to work for it, most people would prefer the former would be my guess, socialist or libertarian alike. So if you can get people to be comfortable being locked in their homes and they just willingly accept it, I mean, how do you you can't how do you have a society that way? How does that work? It's not tenable. Yeah, and you know it's crazy too because I also think you couldn't sell it without the idea of UBI, mm-hmm. which is which is the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the worst ideas that's come out of the progressive left in a long time. Um, but that's okay. Maybe you know if you if you're a uh, collapsitarian, it's a great idea. Yes. Uh, yes. Give me those reasons. Give me those yes. those uh, dollars, and I will use them, and then other people will squander them, and then we'll come out of this faster. Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, be that person. I'm. Absolutely, I kind of am that person, mm-hmm. but I also am in principle opposed. Yeah. No. Give me. I want the Fed to print as much money as possible and lay it right on my doorstep. Like, give me that motherfucking money, dude. I will make myself and my family so wealthy. Like with 
somewhere other than here. I'll, I will take your money, government, and I will I will abandon this country and I will go somewhere else and I will strike gold for myself. <laughs> so please, 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 Biden, send me some more Biden bucks, man. I need that fourteen hundred motherfucking dollars, dude. Like inject that shit in my forearm right now. Bring it on, dude. Hell yeah! And it's so funny because I I like simultaneously like make fun of stimulus checks. And then people will be like, oh, so you're sending them back, right? You're not going to use them? I'm like, no, 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 You don't understand. Like, I think this is a terrible idea. However, A, I've been robbed for my entire adult yeah. life. And and B, they're printing this check no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'd be a fool not to use this to advance myself in the best possible way because they're not trying to actually advance my interests. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's stupid – I don't know. If somebody fucking gives you free shit, you take it. I learned a long time ago from my Spanish friend's mom. So they were like, hey, if somebody offers you free food, you eat it. I'm like, okay, okay. I'll always eat food and you offer me food. <laughs> I, I was saying this. I was saying that exact same thing to um, what I'll call an academic libertarian the other day. And I was saying that exact same thing. And I'm, I'm as much of an accelerationist or collapsitarian as anybody could be. And I was saying, you know, that I've made more money. More do- more U.S. dollars. I shouldn't say money because I have crypto and shit too. But I've made I have I have made more U.S. dollars over the past twelve months than any other twelve month period in my life, and I didn't like ask for any of that. <laughs> like it just they just sent me money. They sent me unemployment money. They sent me fucking checks in the mail. And somebody was like, you know how how consistent like knocking me for not being like a consistent libertarian. I'm like, I never said I was a consistent libertarian ever. I don't give a fuck. Are you kidding me? Like you're going to consistent yourself right onto a fucking box card, get shipped off to the gulags. Like that's the last thing I want to be is fucking intellectually consistent. What I want to do is live my life the best possible extent that I can and try to have as many fun discussions along the way. Like I have no interest in being consistent. I mean, I think I'm consistent for me, just not to to, to him, you know, (laughs) I think you could be intellectually consistent and also like violate that in your life in a Machiavellian way yeah. and not be unethical. Yes. Does, does, if that makes any sense, yes. you could be like, this is no way you're running society. And then I'm going to take it and advance my own causes because you're running society. This like, like you're not in the, the driver's seat here. <laughs> you know, you're in the passenger seat. You're, you're in the back of the bus and they're shipping, they're throwing bags of peanuts back. You're like, all right, I'll take as many peanuts as I can catch. Mm. And then this bus is going to crash at some point. So I'm getting ready to jump off. Like it just makes sense. There's no, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm for principles. I'm for saying we shouldn't drive a, a bus dangerously off a cliff, but like also if they're giving out parachutes and I have a family, I'm catching <laughs> as many parachutes as possible. You yep. know, it's, yep. yeah. So you shouldn't drive a bus like this and I'm going to get ready for when the bus crashes. Like what, what do you want? Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's fucking so great. And, and intellectual what, what, consistency. And then also like take advantage of the situation while it's in front of you. I think it shows you it shows you the entrepreneurial spirit versus like the just complain and bitch about everything spirit, right? The the idea that you and I can look at a situation that is like turned south violently and figure out a way to capitalize on it whereas like the other part of the libertarian anarchist community looks at it and just gets fucking depressed cuz they have like no idea what to do with that information. Right. There, there's no impetus to go out and like actually achieve anything. It's just easier to sit around and, and complain. And that's not just like the woke lefty libertarians. Like that's a lot of the fucking ANCAP people, too. Like not everybody is going to do what like Adam Kokesh did and go like build his own city out in the middle of nowhere. Most of right. them are just going to like go back to working at 7-Eleven for nine dollars an hour after they get off of Twitter. 
So there's not really like any ambition there to do anything. And I would much rather be surrounded by folks like you who are ready to capitalize on reality and move themselves into a positive, advantageous position in the hierarchy and social order than people I know are just going to be trampled over while they're yelling out how consistent of a libertarian they are. You know what I mean? I mean, I may still get trampled. Don't don't be. Uh... <laughs> well, if it's between me and you, man, I'm sorry. I mean, you're a good guy and all, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I still may get trampled, but mm. I I embrace the capitalistic spirit. Uh, yeah, I will. I will try to crap cap, capitalize capitalize off of this tragedy. You know uh, what? Even I, would, if I don't do it as best as I could. I was thinking the other day because you know this this the new thing in conservative media now is like they're going to come take the guns again. That's like a new, I guess, a thing that repeats itself every six months or so. They're like, oh, they're coming for the guns. And yep. I, I have a bunch of conservative friends who went like full on Trump. I have a bunch of like libertarian friends that went full on Trump, too. And they're like this. We're drawing the line in the sand, man. Like this is the line in the sand. They're not coming to take our guns. And I'm like, yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. They'll come. They'll take your guns and you're going to give them your guns. That's what's going to happen to you. Now, there's plenty of anarchists who are going to be like, Fuck that. I don't even have guns. They're like, I lost them in the boating accident or they're buried in my backyard or like, I'm going to literally kill you if you come try to take them. But these like John McCain style Trumpy conservatives or whatever are going to just sheepishly hand them over. And that's going to be it because. Well, they're they're more afraid of becoming a criminal. Yep. You know, it's yep. like the, that's the whole thing is like the. I saw you said something online the other day about like, oh, these people say, you know, criminals don't care about gun laws. Yes. And then they're like, oh, you're taking away my gun rights with your laws. It's like, okay, so if you really believe in it, just be willing to be a criminal. Yeah. Like you, you, answer, know, like you answered your own problem three seconds back on your timeline when you were talking about how the criminals don't pay attention to gun laws. Motherfucker, don't pay attention to gun laws. Like you don't even really right. – because if the shit really happened, right, if the shit really hit the fan – you can just do what the Viet Cong did and grab a bunch of pitchforks and just go kill people with guns and take their guns. So <laughs> there's really like if you're really motivated for the thing that you say you're motivated for, which is like protect you know, the Second Amendment's about protecting against a tyrannical government. It's not about hunting deer. Like, all right, well, then you have a tyrannical government right are now. Are you going to do it? Like, what are you going to do? You're not going to do shit. Like, there's, yeah. you're not. You're just not. It, and if you wanted to, you probably would have done it already. And maybe this, like, uh, if you're going to have an insurrection, you should, like, maybe bring some guns with you to the insurrection instead of, like, I don't your cell phone. Of course it wasn't. <laughs> of course it was the stupidest fucking thing ever. Like, there yeah. wasn't even a firearm in the place. They're just walking around, snapping selfies, like, look at me. I'm fucking awesome with my fucking bullhorn or whatever shit. And and then the media plays that up, and then the conservatives get all freaked out. Like, oh, no, we're going to get associated with these. What is happening? <laughs> what the Dude, fuck that, is happening here? That was crazy to me how the conservative uh, movement, the conservative, uh, I guess, population of the states is like, oh, no, we're not like that. Those are – I had people – I had a guy the other day tell me, well, well, oh, libertarians. Well, those are the kind of people who stormed the Capitol. I'm like, I don't think so, buddy. Like, I don't think you know what you're talking about because of that. But he's like a, a hardcore Trumpy guy. Like he's, he's like, well, no, no, no. People, people who hate the government, people who don't like the government, well, those are the people who stormed the Capitol. I'm like – I don't even think those guys were storming the Capitol. And probably if you were there, you'd been like, yeah, I'm going in. I mean, it, it <laughs> was know? it was pretty cool to see them like climbing all over the outside of it. I had it on the <laughs> TV cool. at work. It was pretty cool. And there, there were a lot of those Gadsden flags out. I mean, I and that I feel like people who are still flying those flags are probably lean Republican anyway. But <clears throat> I mean, it was neat. It was interesting. You know, it, it certainly looked 
on the TV to be worse than what actually ended up happening. Yes. Right. When yes. you saw people climbing on the thing and shaking windows and you're like, fuck, they might actually like blow this motherfucker up. And then you look at how it ended and you're like, well, that was kind of a letdown. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I made a meme about it. I, I put that up. It was like, I put the picture of them climbing up with the, there's like smoke go around from mm -hmm. like some kind of a, you know, smoke grenade or something. And, uh, or I, I don't know if they're doing tear gas or something, but it's all the people climbing up. And I put that and it said violent extremists uh, taking over the Capitol. And then I took a picture of Biden being sworn in. And I said violent <laughs> extremists taking over the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, Biden has single handedly caused uh, way more fucking insurrections and mass murders and deaths around the world than any of those people or all of them put together. So that's a good point. Oh, I mean, how many listen, how many people did those people hurt? Well, I mean, one, maybe. Yeah. And there two was, so at the most. They, they were talking about five people died. Didn't three people die of medical emergencies? Yeah. Just like unrelated medical emergencies on the scene. Yeah. And the story about the cop who they initially said had been trampled or killed with a fire extinguisher, I heard. And then it was trampled. And then all of a sudden, I, no, neither one of those two things are true. And it's like, you're really stretching, right? You're really stretching to make this thing, to pull this thing off as like an, an actual insurrection. Like insurrections, yeah. you know, like work. That's why they're called insurrections. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? They're not even calling it a failed insurrection, like, which isn't even a thing that makes right. sense, right? Like a, like hot, a hot, cold thing. No, insurrections are successful. Like this coups are successful. Like you could say a failed coup, but it wasn't even really that. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was just a bunch of LARPing from what I could tell. That's what it seemed like. It seemed like people were honestly having more fun than they were trying to overthrow anything. Mm -hmm. um, hey, I, I'm going to grab a beer real quick. And I want to get into you talk about this mysticism stuff. And I really okay. want to pick your brain as much as I can. But I'm going to grab a beer. Um, give me two seconds. I fucking realized I, I was like, my teeth were chattering. I'm like, why is it so fucking cold in here? And I put the air conditioning on instead of the heat. I'm like, fuck it. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> like, why am I that'll shaking? That'll definitely do it. <sighs> All right. Good to go. You sure it's not because you're nervous? It's yeah, that's, that's, that's probably it. I get pretty anxious. It's basically the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, though. No matter who I'm talking to or when I'm doing this show, I always get anxious before it. Always. But once the fucking recording goes on, everything just goes away. And I know that's going to happen. And I still get anxious anyway. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I get that, too. I'm not going to lie. I also get wicked bad dry mouth. But mm. I mean, partly because I smoke weed, but like also well. just in general, <laughs> if I wasn't smoking weed, I'd still get dry mouth. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a thing. Yeah, it's probably like a like a nervous tick or something. Yeah, I could see that. But, you know, yeah. then, then like you said, you, like I said, you turn the mic on and everything just fucking ends up working itself out, that, which is probably why everybody pre-shows all the time. And I didn't used to do that. And now I've started doing it more where you kind of get warm with the person together and then you could kind of end up having a better like first 15 minutes for doing so. But then yep. again, not everybody like I, I don't have the time to do that with everybody. So correct. Correct. So you wanted to do All what right. you want to talk about magic. Yeah. I want to talk about magic, dude. Cause you, you talk about magic and <laughs> spirituality and I'm such like a, I'm, I feel like I'm too grounded in like practicality and like bullshit. Mm. Uh, to, you know, so I think everything's bullshit if it's not practical. And then you get into the mysticism and the magic. And I'm like, hmm, I want to see the practical use for this because I do see how logic is not relating or conveying to certain groups of people in this world right now. So I'm curious in the angle of 
magic and mysticism and whatever that is, because it's this is a, a tactic for dealing with wokeness in the dim age. Is that what that is? Explain to me why you talk about it, because I don't even know where it's coming from exactly. Well, I mean, like I was saying earlier, everybody looks for meaning and purpose in their lives. Everybody does this. And you can yes. fill it up with something material and see how that works for you. Or you can fill it up with something mystical and see how that works for you. And I have found during the times that I've lived a more material existence, I am way less content with myself and my life than I am when I submit myself to something bigger than me. And that's just a personal thing. It, you know, for some people, they might like living in the material world. I, I mean, I probably spent about half my life there, right? So I, I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, I definitely touched on like the occult and, you know, Kabbalah and things like that and Zoroastrianism, like when I was a kid or high school and stuff. So I was always into that, kind of trying to figure out, you know, how other societies or how other religions, other people interpret the world and try to find their connection with whatever the most high is to them, whether it's God or some mother being or whatever. Um, mm. So <clears throat> and then I went through like the my, you know, let's say from from the military through maybe like a year ago or two years ago, like a good 20 year block of being pretty much as materialistic as you can get, which just means that you're operating with facts and logic pretty much all the time, right? You're being, what was the word you practical, I think is the word you used. And you could do that like in business, but in, in a way, when you're an entrepreneur, or you're opening restaurants or you're selling things, you're using marketing and messaging all the time, right? To convince people that this is something that they should be contributing their money and their time towards, right? So you're even using the mystical there. I think marketing, messaging, sales, that's all mystical in a way, right? You're creating a narrative out of thin air. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that way to look at it. But yes, yes, you can use it as a tool because there probably is no other tool to use against the Church of Woke, against the cathedral. But or you can just use it to be content with yourself and move on with your life, too. And I, I like I think both of those avenues are good. You know, like it's it's cool to use tactics that you know are not going to be you're not going to lose to your enemies but it's also a good idea to make sure you can sleep at night without driving yourself insane either so i don't know if that answers mm -hmm. your question or not yeah no i mean it definitely it definitely answers uh exactly my question just just as far as like why you know what brings you to the topic or why you talk about it i i guess as somebody who's you know at least at least by my reckoning right now uh, fairly content with my life in my practical, logical, rational, physical realm. Um, you know, I was, I also was raised Roman Catholic and, uh, I guess I didn't, I haven't gone through, I, I've gone through, I guess a, a fairly materialistic phase, but not even super materialistic. I, I guess I live for, uh, I live for engagement with people. Like I love people. Hmm. I love interacting with people. So my, my, like my favorite thing is like conversation and talking to people or going out and meeting new people. And like, I'm a social butterfly a lot. Uh, and that's kind of robbed for me in the last year. And I feel like people don't trust each other anymore mm. the same way. And I'm in this weird space now where I'm still very happy with this, this logical, rational, grounded, practical world, whatever you want to call it. 
But I also see more and more people are like, I can't, I feel like I can't communicate with them mm. as well. So like I'm, I, the happiness part of it, it, like happiness to myself, like I feel like I'm not too worried about that. But as far as like a tool, like how do I, and, and, and maybe it's like a survival thing. I don't know. But how do, how do I use some kind of spirituality to, to allow myself to interact and communicate better? You know, because to me, it's like I can, I can have my rational beliefs and shut off whoever is like not going to, or my logical beliefs and shut off whoever is not going to respond to logic, right? I have engagements on Facebook with people who I'm like, hey, well, if you look at this, whether it's about like coronavirus or it's about uh, the state or whatever, they're just not going to look at the logic of it. It just doesn't, it doesn't click with them. Mm. And maybe I'm giving myself too much credit on the logic of it. I don't know. But I'm like, maybe, maybe if I can make an emotional appeal or something like you're talking about sales or whatever, it seems like there's a very useful tool in here that I just don't understand. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's worth trying to engage on the ground with the enemy right now. I, I really don't. I mean, it, it's, Probably the way that I do that, if I do it at all, is by kind of talking above the conversation with people, o- almost like dismissing it as a thing. Like it's a it's a it's a foregone conclusion what's coming, and it doesn't really make any sense to like bring an argument with the woke to the table. Like, is, is it really like worth my time to do that? Does it make me feel important, or would I rather you know, kind of like you? Would I rather? go out and hang out with people that I enjoy their company and, and live my life with them. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know who's, I don't know how to explain spirituality or religion to somebody. I think it's just something that you come to your, you know, I, I'm not going to go full on bin Armani and go like, you know, start the catechism of the Eastern Orthodox church. Like, that's not what I want, you know, <laughs> but there might be some other connection with the world or nature or the universe that, that makes me feel good. It, it's really, you, you have to find your truth, whatever your truth, whatever's true to you, and not give a fuck about explaining it to other people because that that is what your enemies are doing, and they're doing it in a very corrupted way, like a, a, a made-up materialist way right? that doesn't really exist. And if you can make it exist for you for real, then they can't ever take that away from you. I think that's the confidence, the power that comes with really embracing whatever your most high is. All right. So I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I think, I think I may have, I think we may have been talking about two different things here. Ooh, I hope so. Well, because, because like, I, I guess I see, I, I definitely see the value of, of having some belief in something greater than yourself or some kind of a spirituality. Uh, as far as like getting, getting self-worth regardless of what other people think or having, you know, deriving, I guess you could derive ethics from that logically, from the world logically, but a lot of people don't. My dad uh, has got a PhD in philosophy. He's like, well, no, you couldn't have morality without God. I'm like, I disagree. Yeah, sure, I think sure there you could. is. Sure you could. I, yeah, uh, but he's got a PhD in philosophy, so he can definitely out-debate me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I, He'd still oh, be wrong, so though. Yeah. Correct. Yes, correct. It'll just like pin me with words that I can't. It's like it's like word jujitsu. Uh, what? Why do people think that? Do you think what? Why do people think that you can't have morality without God? Because to me, that's completely irrational. I mean, even if you're looking at it logically, it doesn't make any sense. It's not provable, right? It's just an assertion. I, well, I think that his claim is that 
I mean, ultimately, his claim is, in my opinion, fairly weak. He's like, everything, everything comes from something. Um, and for this to be the, the right way or for us to be able to derive this, that must be like a rule that was created. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's like, well, everything else came from something like, I kind of get that. But if you, if you go to the right, um, go to the right physicists, like astrophysicists, they'll say, I can't remember the guy's name is like Arthur, Arthur Doyle. No, I don't think that's the name. I'm crossing two people's names right now. Maybe it's Penrose, Richard Penrose. Hmm. I'm not sure. I can, I'll look it up. Uh, but he's saying how it, at the end of time, theoretically, right? This is all theoretically. It's like at the end of time when all the black holes have sucked everything into them and then they're all just like burning radiation out and then they all fizzle out, which you'll have. And my dad says, if, if we're, if we're going to go back to the Big Bang, this is his claim for all religion. If the Big Bang had to be started by something outside the Big Bang, there's no science says there's no way. And that's science. That's why science believes in God, son. Um, that's basically his claim in two seconds. This guy says, I think it's, I think it's Penrose. Uh, he says that if you go back all the way, or not back, if you go forward all the way in time where all the black holes are just burning their radiation off because they release energy slowly, but it's in the form of radiation. Everything gets sucked in and they slowly release a little bit of radiation. Eventually, you have nothing but radiation. It's just all electrons. Electrons aren't tied by space and time. So essentially, the infinite space everything is dissolved out into, all the radiation could be the size, for all intents and purposes, is also the size of the tiniest thing ever, right? Because electrons, and I'll, I have to find you this clip, uh, the electrons are not bound by the properties of space and time. They can jump from one side of the universe to another, right. apparently. That, I think that's yeah, so, true. Yeah. So infinity, the biggest space you could possibly imagine, could also be the size of you know, the head of a pin. And so you could have the Big Bang. It's like, is all that energy spread out infinitely or is it condensed in the tiniest point? It doesn't matter. So then you could have an explosion out of that, essentially. That's what he, that's the claim that he made. Um, but so, and I don't remember exactly how we got to this point. Something about. The, I think we were talking oh, about morality, but this is way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me figure it out. I think it's Penrose. On, it was on Rogan. It sounds like a conversation that would happen on Rogan. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was very cool. Um, I can see Joe just getting all like bug eyed and it, like a vein starts popping out in his left temple talking about fucking big bangs, <laughs> electrons, and he's just need some more fucking what's that thing he always takes the just high or whatever supplement he's always talking about. Oh, popping um, a couple more of those fucking pills with the ashwagandha in it and fucking GABA three and all this fucking <laughs> alpha like, brain. Alpha alpha brain. brain. <laughs> what did I call it? Yeah. Alpha brain. I need some more yeah, alpha brain. Give me some more alpha brain. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, it's it's Sir Roger Penrose hmm. uh, on Rogan. So it, it was it was very interesting. And what's funny is my dad had used this as a case the entire time that I've known him. Right. This is like this is his case for why uh, God is real and the Big Bang had to be started by somebody, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so. Two years ago, Roger Penrose has this conversation with Rogan. And I'm like, hey, dad, I know it's Christmas, but we should watch this video. It's like 15 minutes. You'll love it. It's about black holes. My dad loves space. He loves all this stuff. I'm like, oh, by the way, I think that negates the idea that this had to be started by something outside. <laughs> Here, I'm going to send you this link. And he's like, oh, I've never thought about that. I have to, I have to chew on that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> See, R Rogan's a gift to humanity, man. Bringing on the what is it, Robert Pen Penrose, P-E-N-Rose. 
here, I, I'm, I'm going to message you right. right now. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. And, and it's the idea is just simply that if you have everything, all the matter is burnt up into energy and energy can travel, you know, if it's all electron energy, like it's it, it can travel through space and time without any constraints on space and time like we would have or even that like molecules would have. So you have all the space in the universe or you have the tiniest space in the universe and it doesn't make a difference. And so is it all condensed? Is it all spread out? For all intents and purposes, scientifically, it doesn't matter, which is just fascinating to me because I don't see why that would make an explosion again. But he kind of made the argument that it would be cyclical, which I had said before. I had a theory when I was younger, not to just rant about my theories on the universe. I'm not <laughs> qualified at all. Uh, I had a theory that we could have cyclical Big Bangs where we could have a Big Bang and then a big crunch where almost everything gets sucked back into it. But whatever was beyond that, you wouldn't be able to see because everything got sucked back in. Mm. Right. It would be like radiation then it would eventually wear itself out but you could have like big bangs followed by big crunches followed by big bangs well i mean that that seems like it would make sense i mean i you know i, I read a little bit of brian green because my uh, my brother-in-law is a, a nuclear engineer for the navy so he's like big into astrophysics and particle physics and all basically all the physicses so he gave me a bunch of brian <laughs> green to read and um and he was talking about that same thing about cyclical you know, big bangs and big crunches. I, crunches wasn't the word he used, but that's what he meant. And I think it's it's so – we're so tuned as humans to like experience things cyclically that I don't think that's an accident, right? It's it's like uh, even animals. Like a, we, we just had our, our female puppy spayed. And, you know, I was thinking about like dogs go through uh, cyclical heat, right? They go through the the heat process for, you know, attracting a mate or whatever. Like that shit is cyclical. Like the seasons are cyclical, the stars, the heavens. And yep. I mean, why would we stop that project without going all the way to the logical conclusion? Right. So it would seem like everything in the, everything in the universe is cyclical, except the universe. It would seem that <laughs> it would be applicable to everything. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I have that's those really sometimes, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess the, the, the tie in with that is, thinking about you were talking about morality and you were saying, you know, morality comes from God. But if you can if you can say that there isn't one right, then what is what is subjective morality? I mean, I, I'm a subjective morality guy anyway, but I, I come to the same conclusions that everybody who believes in objective morality comes to. So it's like their own only problem with me is that I won't call it the thing they call it. But it's the same fucking rules, the same ethics. Oh, well, I just don't like the the room that subjective morality gives people who aren't you. Uh, to have their own opinions on what's okay to do. So yeah, but they're gonna have you know, them that's anyway. Cool if you have that. What's that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, like sure. it doesn't really but like. It, I'd rather I'd rather say there is a listen. This is again the anarchist thing. We're gonna have rules, dude. Uh, <laughs> well, we we would probably agree on what the rules are. Like to me, it's irrelevant oh, no, where they come from. Well, I I I think you're probably right, but I just think that uh, we could objectively reach some conclusions that are very clear. Like it wouldn't have to be you or me and we could probably get just about anybody on board. And then they'd be like, they'd just be willing to make exceptions and we probably would make a lot less exceptions. Yeah. By the guess. But you know what, what I hope, what I hope comes out of this whole nightmare is, you know, the, these little tiny, it'd be nice to see these little tiny city states just start popping up all over the world. Like, the, like I said, there's like 15 or 20 of them. Uh, I don't have the article in front of me, but I can, I can send it back to you. Where 
you get people who just create their little community and live the way they want to live with whatever morals they want. And there's this marketplace of city states where people can come and go and try different ones as long as they submit to whatever structure that particular city state wants. I mean, it's very like it's very Curtis Yarbin. I mean, this is like oh, yeah. essentially the entire idea of unqualified reservations was to very wordily get to that point, right? Was and maybe so maybe that's why it's always been in my head because I, I was reading that when he was writing it new, and then I kind of forgot about it for a bunch of years, and then when you know when the lockdowns came a year ago, I just sort of I broke out of this materialism that I had been in and was like I I'm I'm. I'm missing so many things in my in my head. I need to go read and get into this audiobook or listen to this podcast or fuck, I'm now I remember that guy. Let me read about that guy. Shit, now I gotta learn about this other dude. And I realized like I, I remember all this stuff. Like I remember real what I really felt about anarchism like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Because when when did UR come out? I think it was 2007 he was writing that. And I remember reading that and being like, this makes fucking perfect sense. Perfect sense to me. Like, I totally get it. And then it would like, it like popped up on Free Man Beyond the Wall. He popped up last year and I'm like, oh my God, this is the guy. This is the fucking guy. Like, I haven't thought about this shit in like seven years. It's so applicable to right now. Like, how did I get so lost that I missed this? So I don't know if you've read him or if any of your listeners are familiar with, with Curtis Yarvin, but if you're looking for like actual legitimate materialist answers and you don't want to go like the Vin Armani route, uh, that's your guy. And Gray Mirror, which I know he's right now, is I haven't read it yet, but I would think it would just be like a condensed, distilled version of Unqualified Reservations, but I, I'm not sure. I, I haven't read it. Yeah, no, I, I saw him on Malice once, I think, mm. but I haven't I haven't read him. The smart guy, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just so he, – he'd be tough to have a conversation with because he, like, has read everything ever written by everybody. So he would be throwing – ideas out that would you, you almost like I think Pete does the best job with these type of guests on his show because he just lets them talk and he'll interrupt for maybe like three seconds and just let them talk again and Curtis is one of those people you just have to like you have to kind of turn his, to him and point him in a direction and then just let him walk <laughs> as, far, as far as he can go you know and, right. and, and, and just ramble on because it, it always comes back to where to where you wanted it to go it's a, right. it's a beautiful thing to listen to. He's very good at crafting that narrative. And you're like, you're, you're thinking like, dude, what were we even talking about in the first place? And then he'll, he'll get you there. You're like, oh, yeah, fuck. That was masterful the way he put that together. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a really good character. So I like to think I'm good, good at that except for the tying it back in part. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know what it masterful. does? It, it, it requires practice. Right. You have to like craft right. this in your brain before you do it. Right. It's like, you know, from from doing your show, I'm sure like there are things that you probably say like again and again and again and again. And the more you say them, the better you get at saying them. So it, they become like uh, <clears throat> like you can rattle stuff off after a while because you've been saying the same thing so many different times in so many different ways. You start to learn how to say it better and practicing that in your head. So if, if somebody comes at you with like a gotcha question you kind of already have the formula for answering it because you've, you've said and thought about it so many times. And I think right. somebody like him with the brain he has, he's got, I mean, his IQ has got to be off the chart. So it, it's, I think it's constant mental gymnastics. He's playing with himself 
right? Like almost like a gym workout to get to that like 35 minute story that ties in like 300 years of human history. It's just, yeah, it's like, I'll never be able to do it. That that's what makes it so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. It's cool. You know, I've, I've, since I've been doing the podcast, I've met some people who are just really good talkers. They're like, man, like I don't need to have a podcast. These people need to have podcasts. Like these, these people can talk, man. Like, uh, it's, it's really nice though. Cause I feel like you learn stuff from that. Mm. Have you now? So Curtis Yarvin, he wrote, what was it? Unqualified reservations. Yeah. That was his blog back in, I, th- I think he started in 2007. So maybe it went from like 20, 2007 to like 2013, uh, and I probably tapered off 2010 or 11. I probably stopped reading it just because that, that was that would have been the time I was getting out of the corporate restaurant world into kind of doing my own thing. And so I wouldn't have had a okay. lot of free time. I, I just sort of tapered off all knowledge at that point. Like I probably went six years or so without really reading a book or listening to anything because I was just Low so diet. I was just so focused on running the businesses and that's like, I, you know, like a, barely sleeping, like destroyed two relationships in my life, like barely saw my family. So I wouldn't have had any, any inclination to read anything. Um, right. But yeah, I think it was 2000 unqualified reservation. So essentially it's like a, a political science view of you know, our, our current present Republic democracy and why it's horrendous and what can be done to fix it. That's pretty much the, <laughs> I think summing it up the best way I can. It's, um, He's very anti-democracy, uh, very nonviolent, and really essentially pushing the idea of Ancapistan in a way that would be, you know, feasible in reality as somebody looking at it from a poli-sci point of view rather than just like a so, moral point of view. So he's moving to New Hampshire. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't know where the dude lives. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to even contact him, invite him on the show because I feel like I'd be in over my head or – Maybe he'd be in over his. I, I don't. I don't know how we. Like I'm such a different thinker than him. I don't know how we'd have a conversation. I, I feel like it would just be, "Hey, Curtis, uh, well, come on the show and talk about anything you'd like, and I will just sit here with the mute button on my microphone for two hours." And I don't know how interesting <laughs> that would be for either of us. So, um, but yeah, his stuff on other well, shows is great. I don't know. I mean, I think I think um, don't underestimate yourself, right? People who have stuff to say usually they're they're pretty happy to go you know if he cares about what he's talking about he's pro- he probably would be happy to well I'll, I'll, honestly maybe, maybe. i mean I, i'm actually really surprised the people that have come on my podcast have come on it there certainly has been no reason for them to right they're right they're, they're doing me a favor they're not getting anything out of it i mean they might get a okay i'm sure they're reaching an audience that probably didn't hasn't heard of them before which is seems weird to you and i because they're people that we know so well but um, so that's probably a plus, but it's not that many people. So they're really just doing me a favor. And no one's ever said only one person I've reached out to has said no. And one person never got back to me. And everybody else has said yes. And that was just me, you know, having just enough whiskey in my system where I had the balls to send the email and right. but not so much that it sounded fucking ridiculous. And, um, you know, I would say for any listeners, anybody out there who's like nervous about having a conversation with somebody that they, they really, they idolize or, you know, look up to or enjoy hearing. I mean, what do you have to lose by just asking? Yeah. I mean, dude, honestly, it works out pretty good. I got Adam R. Patrick's on my show. 
<laughs> no, nowhere to go but up from here, man. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I've had some degenerates on my show. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe I can I, I'll amp up my degeneracy the next time. The next time we talk, I've been doing these like stone cold sober now for like the last, you know, twenty episodes because I could start to hear my slurring. On the, when, I, when, I, when I would listen back and I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Probably nobody else could hear it, but fuck, that doesn't sound good. But uh, yeah, maybe if we do this again, I'll uh, I'll grab some hardcore narcotics and a, and a six pack and sit back and go to town. Hell yeah, dude. That'd be good. You want to wrap this thing up? Well, I, I, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll just tell people to check out the uh, You're Talking Over Me podcast. And, and uh, that's Y-E-R, Talking Over Me. Just think like Southern Hillbilly, You're Talking Over Me. Um, on pretty much anywhere that you want to download or listen to any, I'm pretty sure I'm on everything and, uh, I can be contacted on social media. It's I am Adam Patrick is pretty much my handle on everything. And, um, I, I respond to anybody who, as long as you're a real human being and not, you know, like, a <laughs> some, uh, some female model with like big, you know, big injected lips with a male name on Facebook and no mutual friends, I'm probably going to respond to you. And then you uh, respond to all people in some sex box. <laughs> like they're, they're not even original anymore. You're like, did you just throw this through a random name generator? Like what the fuck? We have no friends. And how is that possible? We have no friends in common. <laughs> and then uh, you're talking over me at protonmail.com and highly recommend protonmail. If people don't use it, they don't pay me to say that it's super secure. Uh, get off of Google. Don't Google anything. Don't use Gmail. Get the fuck out of Google, please. And thank you. And I highly recommend you give this guy a follow because he puts some interesting shit out there. Thanks, so, brother. Yeah, no, no. Thank you, man. You're contributing to society in a way. Oh, God. <laughs> well, At least right. to, you're contributing to my mind, which is a part of society. And I am I am contributing to society. So, well, I, I, I enjoyed this. I really did. I Good appreciate stuff, it. Good stuff, man. All right, brother. Good cool. talking to you. You too, dude.